I just have that, that desire, that intensity of like, this is my, this is my life's work. <laughs> this is so, it's like so important to me. Okay, welcome back to Label, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. Now, if there was ever a Tooth & Nail band that was hard to explain or cover in a single podcast episode, it would certainly be Me Without You. And that's because to understand them, you really have to experience them. And not just their stage performance or their albums, but as individuals and in context. And I happened to be fortunate enough to have had that opportunity, thanks to Tooth & Nail, in fact, that the first national tour that Emory or I ever did was with me without you. It was the first Tooth & Nail tour in 2004. And to this day, that is one of the most important experiences of my life for lots of reasons. But I've learned more from Mike and me without you than almost anybody about DIY and art and integrity and humility. And they've had a massive influence on me personally and professionally. Also, fortunately, many of you have had profound encounters with them and their music, so I know that you are familiar as well. There's infinite stories and analysis to do, and I assure you this will not be the last time that we explore the terrain and vicinity of this band or its members, but today we're going to hear solely from Mike Weiss, the guitarist and brother of frontman Aaron Weiss, about what motivates him and how he and Aaron grew up and why they're such an important part of the tooth and nail story. And by the way, we're listening right now to one of my favorite Me Without You songs called Red Cow. This is a live version, in fact, from an audio tree session. And I just love how it gives way from something kind of calm to something unbelievably volatile. Check it out. Tell me your top, your three songs you like from the Tooth & Nail catalog. Oh, yeah. So, for sure, um, and this is kind of a cheat because it was originally a Take Hold Records release, which we, was we accept that. bought by Tooth & Nail. And I'm going to go with There Is No Dana by 238. That song is probably my favorite song on Tooth & Nail Records. And then, yeah, you're going to go, like, if you're going to, you know, you're going to go tooth and nail, you got to go, like, Blue Collar Love, Starflyer 59. It's just, like, real, like, shoegaze kind of sounding guitar tones with like that sort of nasty like tremolo like lead part that's just it's just so so nasty just nastiness it's just one note just but it's just so nasty um and then yeah just like anything off of like the moon is down 
I mean, that was a record that, like, yeah, blew our, you know, blew everybody's mind. That that Further Seems Forever record with uh, Chris on it, Chris Caraba, the first Chris Caraba Further record. Yeah, those are like the three I thought of up on up on the top there. Well, what can you tell me about Brandon and your introduction to him in Tooth and Nail? Brandon is just uh, he's just a cool dude that gave our band a chance to make amazing like go into amazing studios and work with amazing producers and they they like met us every step of the way. Like when we toured like 200 days out of a year they said they said okay like this band is is trying their hardest we're gonna we're gonna pony up and and do our half of the deal i i I have nothing but good things you know to say about the guy i know um it's hard these days running a record label but if there's somebody that has the the talent to keep moving with the times it's it's going to be brandon and you, uh, you guys came in through Chad. Like you had a connection to Take Cold and Chad, and that's how you met Brandon. And it got in the first, where was that? No, connection? not at all. Um, we actually tried to get signed to Take Hold. Me without you did, and he did. He wasn't interested. So we gave Chad Johnson the first shot. He did. He um he declined, and then we played Tooth and Nail. Uh, the operation was really the band that I was in that was a take hold band and we were actually had a record out and we were actually playing a real stage and me without you was just like this little side project like scrappy little like nothing band that just played a generator show and a guy named greg patterson from tooth and nail walked by with adam mckinnon those guys worked at at the label and they they were put to task to find new bands to sign they they saw our band play maybe uh serendipitously uh you know as it was they they were into the sound and the and the sights and everything so they 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 brought us in, and that was the beginning of our relationship with Tooth and Nail. They offered us a, a deal that like that fall. And you'd better be alone. Sit there silent, folded up, and you smile as I walk by. My face is shaved, but you know it's me. You know it's me. Come and whisper in my ear. Me Without You resonates with the Tooth & Nail community so well. Solid State, Tooth & Nail, Christian Hardcore, Punk, all that stuff so well. But yeah. you come from a, a much different place than most of those fans do. I would describe the typical fan as maybe suburban youth group kid uh, in something like a cons- very conservative Christian, yeah. typically only allowed to listen to X and Y but not Z. Mm-hmm. But how? what was the environment you guys grew up in was was so different than that? It's Philadelphia. It's urban. It's an interfaith home. I mean, yeah. it's so different. Yeah. My mom and dad belong to this group. It's like a spiritual community called the Fellowship, the Bawa Muhaideen Fellowship. Um, B.A. W A. I actually can't spell Moaidine off the top of my head. Um, they sort of chose an alternative spiritual 
path than most of the than anybody I knew. Um, and it was based on Sufism, which is, I don't want to call it like a, a religion. It's, it's, it's more of like a mystical path that, that one sort of takes based on, I would say various faiths. And it usually involves a sheikh or like a guru. Um, and, um, that person is like the leader of the community. And he, um, the man that I'm referring to, Bawa Muhaydin, he came to the United States from Sri Lanka in the 70s. And um, in, within this community um, in West Philadelphia, my parents met and they actually got married very quickly. They didn't really date. Um, so that was a little strange, but, um, <laughs> we were just in the, this, uh, neighborhood in the suburbs of Philadelphia, upper Darby and, um, everybody was Catholic. I just wished I was Catholic. I didn't like being different. Um, I didn't really get to a hundred percent feel like a normal quote unquote kid because of my parents. But, I did, me and Aaron got to, and my mother's side were Episcopalians and my father's side were Jewish. We really got exposed to, well, we celebrated all the Christian holidays with my grandparents, maternal, paternal grandparents. We celebrated Passover and Hanukkah. Um, and then at home, it was just sort of this Bawa Muhaideen, um fellowship um, of the books that he wrote. And um, so, yeah, we didn't really have like a, a straight, sort of religious path that can be sort of pinned down. So, yeah, the idea of, like, there being this culture of music based on this sort of, like, Protestant kind of evangelical sort of sect of Christianity was just sort of, like, completely foreign to us. We had never conceived of su such a thing. And then when I was... Yeah, like when I was a kid, I would just listen to like Public Enemy and like LL Cool J. I loved hip hop uh, when I was in middle school and um, Public Enemy, like NWA, stuff like that. And then like when I got into high school, I just got introduced to punk rock and hardcore, like straight edge, hardcore music. Yeah, I just took to that super, super fast. And were, you and Aaron were straight edge, got in straight edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. It was it was like the coolest thing I've ever experienced because I <laughs> I didn't want to drink. I was mm -hmm. not like my parents drove that home to me pretty well. Like they and I believed them and I just I listened to them. They taught me not to do drugs and or drink alcohol, just abstain. And um, I was just one of those kids that like that made sense to me. And there was this, this like subculture where like these other kids were like taking pride in it and making amazing music and the, the you know, the, these shows were, were taking place, but they were being put on by other kids and it was just renting a space, throwing up a crappy PA. It wasn't like we were locked into this sort of like machine you know like the corporate radio stations just playing hits and you like you know you buy records and you go out and walk, go pay you know overpay to see a concert and all that stuff but like it was just really you know 
like DIY and, and that, that was just blew my mind you know um, and that's where I got into music just wanting to play it's, I, I want to be that guy that's playing the songs you know to participate yeah sure yeah, yeah. you were talking about being straight edge is it I think it's the case if, if I'm not mistaken that at some point you guys were vegan or even uh, I think the story goes something along the lines that Aaron or Aaron and you were chastising people for not being vegan almost militant straight edge vegan type did you have an energy like that at one point I mean I was a dumb kid um I was never vegan, but yeah, like the straight edge thing was, it was definitely, um, intertwined with that sort of like fire in the belly, like dumb kid kind of energy of like, you just think you know everything and you ask some poor, like usually somebody that like has a low probability of actually being able to like kick your ass so you know you're just a coward coming up to like some girl you know smaller than you can i get a cigarette and then like you know they they want to be like they want to be nice and give you something that you're asking for so they give you a cigarette and then you you know you you're an asshole so you you break it you know right in front of their face (laughs) That kind of stupid kind of stuff. That's punk. That's punk for sure. That's like classic street punk from the 80s in a movie. Yeah, except <laughs> you're doing it to somebody that you're not in, you're not afraid of because that's the best you can do. <laughs> you wouldn't find me going up to like, you know, this ripped, you know, football player. Um, so, yeah, you just try to impress your friends. Um, and, and it's just so, so sort of sad and, and and you tell the story about it as an adult and it's embarrassing uh, well it speak the spirit of it i understand though <laughs> you know it's it's a fire in the belly kind of thing and you guys have never had any shortage of being willing to go way beyond boundaries so i know it's true about aaron i know it's true about you but you guys go past boundaries that other people would not go past for what you'll do for your transportation where you'll get your food how you'll dress what you're willing to do is simply and at every turn seems oh, musically lyrically seems to be more than what other people are willing to do we just have more um appetite for risk i think Pedro tour was good, huh? Oh, yeah, of course. It's a sight to behold, and he sounds better than ever, for sure. Dave comes up all the time for tooth and nail stuff. Dave Bazan, or Pedro the Lion, and Me Without You, fit into the story in somewhat of a similar way in that you're kind of what the label, or Brandon specifically, always likes to refer to as cred or cool <laughs> or lend that credibility to things. And um, there's always this been this tension with like the youth groupiest side of things and that. And then inside of Tooth and Nail, those things 
they both work together. How do you feel about that comparison and that and that line of thinking? If you if you want to group anything I've been a part of to to Pedro the Lion, then I'll welcome that any day, anyhow, any way you want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do remember Brandon talking about Me Without You as one of his cred bands, which I always thought that was just his nice way of saying, you guys aren't making me any money, but I still love you kind of thing. Um, you know, we were able to somehow give his label, quote unquote, credibility mm-hmm. um, within the indie rock scene. If he wanted to put us on display as like this band that that didn't um, mind all the other sort of quote unquote like youth groupy bands or whatever you want to refer to like mustard plug as or I don't know maybe or Ace Troubleshooter or I don't know what if I'm even using those bands correctly in this example but um forgive me if I'm not but yeah um whatever whatever it is that we could do for him. It's fine. We we were treated really fairly by him. He always let us do whatever we wanted to creatively. Mm-hmm. And um, Chad Johnson, um, as you know, was was very 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 helpful, um, formative in his ability to find producers like Brad Wood, for example, for us to work with. And so you know what? It's it's like sure Brandon can call us that, and I'm. I'm fine with it. I wish we could have sold him more records and maybe we could have been more than just a cred band or whatever he called us. I always ask people, like, like I asked you, what is your favorite bands on Tooth and Nail and what were the songs that impacted you? Yeah. Um, and I ask that of all the artists and they always say me without you. You have a special oh, cool. place in the hearts of Tooth and Nail from, I think you know it as well, that you're what they call a band's band. So all the bands like you, all the industry yeah. people like you, and all the fans like you. That rarely lines up. I think but, you were right up until the last one, but we'll we'll <laughs> we'll be really happy to to uh, make anybody's list of you know bands they dig or ever listen to. Uh, I spe- well, artists in particular, it, that's a special one. I think you know I I I don't know some of these bands that like us that have taken us out on tour are just amazing. Band like just. Paramore or or brand new, for example. Um, I mean, these are these are like or you know, being being out with Pedro the Lion. That was Dave's. That that tour wouldn't happen. It was. We joked about it. It was like you know before we'd play, we'd say this is you know because Dave said so. You know that was like we kind of like that was like our one two three. Dave said so, and that's true. We didn't do that tour for any other reason than Dave like was cool with us. I'll take that, man. That's that's all good. Like, these are artists who are making amazing music. They they have an impact on the culture, and um, if they like our record, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think we really hit the commercial success that you, maybe you're pointing at. But well, let's talk about that then. How do you, you know what I'm doing? I'm looking at Tooth and Nail, and I'm looking at the time we were on it. And um, I'm just comparing us to bands mm-hmm. like Under Oath, you know. <laughs> um, 
it's sort of ridiculous to even do that. But yeah, I used to, I used to, also, I used to see how they would just do really well for his label, and I, I thought, man, I would love to do that. It's, it's it's like I think it's a it's just a matter of honestly. I really, when I say this, I really appreciated everything they did for us. And there's that, you know, that drive that you have to be like, all right, now I'm this this thing is gonna come back around for them and Mm -hmm. i think it's i mean and you you know with emery i feel like it's always like it's a passionate it's like something yeah it's like the way you feel about emery the way you want to drive this thing forward and you want to just make your your best music um it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter how many records you've already put out it doesn't matter what anything you just have this this drive to just get into the studio and like make the make the 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 next great like american like indie rock record that's i i just have that that desire that intensity of like this is my this is my life's work <laughs> this is so <laughs> it's like so important to me yes um it's so important and i know you understand what i'm talking about i know you do i am positive like like i can tell um the way we've talked about music with each other before in the past and and in this conversation like we both understand how exhilarating it is to be able to have this opportunity and so that's what gets me like amped like seriously um and so like because because like i've been given that opportunity i want to like i want to hand it back yeah you know what i mean and be like hey man we killed it for you. And, you know, some records do better than others. I mean, we're not out here like, you know, we're not like um, hit makers, you know, in, in our band. No, but it's more like tastemakers, though. So you don't write yeah. songs to be pop songs, but what, what do you do? I mean, how, what, do, what does Mike know how to do on guitar when he sits down? You have to have a confidence at this point that you know how to generate things that are going to be good for me without you and get it out there. I have to just write a lot of stuff. I have to just, with any chance I get, pick up my guitar and just see what comes out and then just sort through all the terrible stuff and find something that's a spark, something that like, and it gets harder with every new record because you just have mm-hmm. done X, Y, and Z already. So, I mean, to be honest, to make Catch Rest of Foxes and Brother Sister that was a time where like the the world was like our oyster because we hadn't really done anything yet Mm -hmm. i think that's an advantage a lot of young bands don't maybe they don't realize they have in in their sort of night night naiveness night how do you say that word naivety naivety yeah something like that sorry you can you can edit that out You don't have to, Um, but yeah, you you have to sort of embrace the fact that you don't know shit yet, Mm -hmm. and that's actually a good thing. Can you think of some of those light bulb moments when something came out and you were were sorting through it, or and you knew it early on on some of those records? Oh yeah, like you know, not just me, but it's like everybody playing together. Like when we were we were making like you know carousels that song. Like Dan Pishock had a great bass line. We just kind of all like kind of warmed our way in there. And um, it just, 
the thing that got me excited was it just sounded like it was the sound of in my mind it was the sound of driving in a convertible down like the Pacific Coast Highway in, in like the dead of night with like just the breeze flowing through your hair and just it was just a cool like I just thought that's a cool vibe first dry spot I found I didn't have to wonder why I was laying down before long I was too cold took a bus back and just for our band to be doing it was kind of like a cool like it was just like of all bands like we're doing this it's like that and that just got me got me pretty hype to be making that record or like in another way like uh, that was like at band practice but then also just being in my house um at the time and just like with my four track and just laying down the guitar parts for torches together and just hearing or it was like on a looper or something like that but just hearing the way those two guitars went together and I just thought, man, this is a really cool version of like a Fugazi, like kind of like muted little tight little guitar part. But then there's like this slidey kind of thing. I don't know. And then you just think, oh, man, just what's coming out of the speakers is, is it's really, really, really exciting. And I can't wait to get to band practice and show this to everybody and hear what Rick does to it and hear what like lyrics Aaron comes up with. So, um. There's something about that energy when you know something, you're probably yeah. going to be able to carry it. And yeah. now you have that momentum to go try to convince the other people, and they're probably yeah. going to respond to it because they know and trust you too. And that's an exciting adventure to go on, and it really pays off when you get to what you said before. It's like, oh, that's cool that we're doing this. Like The fact yeah. that your band is doing a song like that, and we yeah. pulled it off. Yeah, it was like, it worked. It's, it's like, this one worked. And those times where you just hit that wall and like songs just don't get finished, I'm sure you can you can attest to the process of like you believe in this thing and like you know it goes the other way, like it just doesn't mm -hmm. click with everybody, and it just and that's that's like a hard one to swallow. But it's also yeah. just like the way you you have to you have to know when to like I've been in situations where I've like believed in a riff and I've just beat everybody to death with it, and it's just not working, and it just and everybody starts to get like burnt out and then you know you go down that labyrinth and you just never make it out yeah. um so yeah there's that too but like the the good times man like yeah you know what i mean like you're at band practice you, you just like record like a little demo of this new song that you're working on and like you just next day you put it in you know, your car stereo or whatever and like turn it up and you're just like yeah this is fun, man. This is uh, this is worth it. You know, these yeah. moments where you're like, I love this. We just did this yesterday. Nobody in the world knows it exists. Yeah. And and in a way, like, that's actually, like, kind of cool just right there. Just, like, that moment where you just have it. And, like, whatever happens with it, you don't know. But um, it's, it's amazing to just be a part of a group and, and put together, like, new things this new piece and 
that's what that's I've always loved the writing process of, of the whole entire the whole thing like like the opportunity to come in and like make and like and I'm um, you know compose or whatever write riffs like I've just just always really dug into that that part of the process and of course you poured everything you had into it and it's just yeah it sounds perfect that's that's it's as good as it gets all right a lot of you guys already know this but hiring can be a slow process and slow is not good when it comes to that kind of thing Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. Now, ZipRecruiter doesn't just depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you, which is terrific. Its technology identifies people with the right experience, and it invites them to apply to your job. So you get a qualified candidate fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So you can see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash labeled. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-A-B-E-L-E-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash labeled. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The first time I saw you was with Norma Jean and Beloved in 2003. Nice. And at that time, I think that was right in the middle of the time when as it was told to me by John Dunn he says you got to see me without you it's crazy he said they wear $800 pairs of shoes <laughs> but they eat out of dumpsters and they have really fancy clothes or something like that um, thrift store it's all thrift store <laughs> but he, it was like as if you but it was true that when i saw you at that show you were putting off a vibe that was fancier it wasn't uh dirty looking Aaron had all these really nice flowers and you guys were dressed in really nice coats and you did have nice shoes and things like that you were projecting something like that which I found really exciting and different I think in the early aughts it was not uncommon for bands to think they have to have some sort of really like a stronger sense that there needed to be a cohesive sort of vibe to everybody and we were just we just fell into that trap of just being like not to the extent of your, you know, it's that the Swedish band. <laughs> um, have a name like the, hate to say I told you so, that song. I don't know. It. <laughs> oh, no. Um, they, I'll think of it later. But anyway, we just took, we ripped off the idea of the flowers from the Smiths, this Charming Man video. Um but like it was it was just a matter of like what heavy sounding bands have done this and i don't you know i i don't think i can name any but there probably is but um that was just an opportunity that we we thought was like yeah we'll just we'll dress like we'll put on turtlenecks the hives by the way is what hives, i was trying there to. You go, there you go. um we'll put on turtlenecks or like you said like fancy shoes i think aaron might have had a pair of nice shoes 
I don't remember ever being interested in shoes particular, but particularly, but anyway, yeah, like, um, we just had all these different sort of ideas. Um, we could all just dress up like, you know, we like, we look like fishermen, you know, or like, we could all just look like, you know, we're just like beatnik poets. Um, but, uh, it, it was just a little gimmicky way to make the show. I don't know. I think that kind of stuff adds to the production value of a show, whether you like it or not. It's true. Um, but you kind of rejected it a bit after that. And so at that time, it would seem like you were trying to put on a, a big show and grow in that traditional sense. And you're a heavy band, like a punk hardcore band, uh, punk hardcore Christian band at that time. And the lead singer is doing something that was pretty much people would describe as spoken word. And so you had this really clear trajectory. AB Life is out. It's a, you know, we, we, you move on from there. And the sound and the image somewhat changes, no? For the next just the second record, yeah, mm-hmm. I would say so. Yeah, I think that that would be just uh, an unconscious sort of thing. I definitely don't remember ever sitting down together and just being like, okay, let's let's turn a corner and let's like do away with this or that. I still wore like parkas. Keep in mind, I was just a huge Oasis fan, and I still mm-hmm. am. And it all kind of ties together because like they sort of, they were ripping off the Beatles, and of course the Beatles had you know, that rubber soul phase where they were sort of all look like authors, you know, they all kind of had their turtlenecks and um, whatever. They had that sort of vibe. So you, you trace that from Me Without You from the Beatles, Rubber Soul to Oasis to in, into Me Without You's image that they were projecting. In about I mean, I would, never, I would never put our band in the same sentence as those two bands, but as far as my brain, like I was, I was just obsessed with with oasis i still i still am that's great. you know records. what else i hear uh, a lot in you guys is weezer i hear it hear it hear it i hear weezer and smashing pumpkins and i, I texted oh, yeah. you as soon as i heard the new album untitled album is terrific and when i Thanks, heard julia man. and that video of course is the best too but that uh guitar solo and that sound and what you've done done there it's just I feel like there are a few bands out there that carry the spirit of Pinkerton and that's in their DNA yeah, and that sure. they're just out there. And you're one of those bands to me that, yeah. that that get it, that know it, that are upholding something that I feel familiar to from, yeah. from the 90s there. As, as you know, um, you, yourself being a guitarist and learning the instrument at a certain particular time in your life where you're like picking up a guitar and you're like just 
tapping into this new journey, this like insane voyage you're about to go on. And then like you have these bands that you're excited about and like they just it like it sort of like crystallizes like inside your 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 musical influences are just sort of like yeah, they're like um metastasized in your bones, right? So like you'll never like I still am sitting down at a guitar and I'm writing riffs that are just like yeah, that sounds like something that a, a wannabe sort of like Siamese dream kind of sounding like guitar part. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never shy away from the fact that, you know, Billy Corgan's music has influenced me ins- insanely. Um, I, I think that's pretty obvious. You know what I mean? It's pretty obvious when you listen to, yeah, like for like that's that song you were talking about. Um, julia for sure you know but you know i think it's it's still us and that's the cool thing about having aaron in the band is just like at the end of the day you've always got that element where it's just like who else does that though you know yeah you set him up and he'll knock him dead like yeah exactly he's gonna do something out that you couldn't have anticipated anyway that might solidify or take the next level it'll just get us a, a little bit more of our own into our own thing like this guitar like this could have been like a million different people. No, um, wrong. And that's true, but the the entire the entire thing is gonna sound more you know more or less like just that band. It will sound like me without you once he's yeah. once he's done. Could you tell me what's special about Aaron? I mean, what is what is so different about him? Because it's not he didn't he was doing spoken word and then he sang, but then yeah. half the stuff he does is. You know, I've seen him drink a Snapple bottle full of urine, personally. So, I mean, what is what is with the guy? Like, what do you know him better than anybody else in the world? He's yeah. an enigma, and you know it, and everybody knows it. So, can you please tell me, the best as you can see it from where you're at now, what yeah. is special about him? Uh, for some reason... Um, the first thing that I think of if someone wants to know like what's up with Aaron, I honestly think of him as like a, a sweet little bunny rabbit that that like at the heart of all of it um, there's just like a pure like har- harmlessness and like just wants nothing but good goodness in in, in terms of like what people are going to experience um, having met him or, or just been around him. But he is just at the heart of it all, wants to explore what's in the nature of all of us that can be just a beautiful unifier of love and, and just the mystique behind that or like the mystery of that seems to just keep expanding for him I think there was a time where maybe he thought he had all the answers like we all have had but he, he's, he's gone on and, and uh, questioned and sort of come to new turning points and um, I think people in general are like that and they see someone like Aaron who just he's like a really he's, like, he's a poet he's, he's, a, he's a, an incredible songwriter and he, he's a singer that delivers uh, his 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 voice has so much um, 
beauty and like sincerity and 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 you connect with that I went back on my word but I won't go back this time neither bonds nor free but a newspaper salesman who moves about words e.g. death do us part if our prayers are unheard well our prayers are unheard he just is a special guy. I, I th you know, the way you put it is really how I think about it. He's just a special guy, and I've known, I've known it since I was, you know, we're, um, since the beginning. I've always known it, and um, he's, he's just been put in a position where he's been able to to do a lot of cool stuff with his gifts, and he works harder than anybody else I know, and that's I can tell you that he. Um, he doesn't take any of this lightly. And in so much as I've expressed my dedication to, to what we try to do, believe me, he's beyond my, my, my level, believe it or not. Um, it doesn't come easy to him, but he finds it and he does the, the grunt work. Um, yes. And he is obsessive, almost to the point of yeah, getting exhausted I'll be honest, like, I can remember right before we went in to record Catros Foxes, he was, he had a nervous breakdown, and he was, like, felt unprepared, and the, the weight of how, how much he really wanted this project to be amazing, and the pressure that he was putting on himself, it was enormous. And I remember just saying to him, like, just don't do it, you know? Um, I just... Don't, this is not worth like what this is doing to you. Um, he just did it anyway. I wrote a four-word letter. Post-strip and crooked lines. Though I lived, I'd never been alive. You know who I am. You held my hand as I traveled. Blind. I don't know what happened. He just, yeah, just he's just an example of a guy who. He's gonna, he's gonna just focus on the task at hand with a tenacity. Um, I, I've never seen it in anybody before. Um, and the, is the and gift of being present involved in that? Like his ability to be present is is pretty high. I don't know. I don't know where he is. If he's with <laughs> us or where. Um, you feel that you get that sense when you're around him like he's magnetic yeah. to other people they feel that he's very present and attentive and listening he made tremendous impression on my parents when he yeah. met them and all you know all that yeah. kind of thing yeah he, he's definitely um he gives a lot he gives a lot and um i just don't i don't envy the amount of energy that he has to kind of like tap into Whenever we're on tour, it's just I, I just want him to get rest, just so wow. he can decompress and just be, you know, you just give your mind that like recharge and just get ready for the next day kind of thing. And people just want a piece of him, and he gives it to him, almost to the point where I have to come in and just be like, let's go, you know, um, we got to get get out of here. Uh, and then, you know, he gets he gets to go. <laughs> but 
I'm just always here. Oh, you know, where's Aaron? Where's Aaron? Where's Aaron? And I'm always just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up his location. Yeah. You gotta find him yourself. Mm-hmm. And people, people do. I'm sure. I'm sure that's a, it is a really big burden when you're as vulnerable and live as much out as he does. What yeah. pressure that that can be is there's no is no joke. Yeah, and people just put a lot on his plate. They want to talk to him about what this or that means to them, or they want to ask him what he meant when he wrote mm-hmm. this or that. And a lot of times, like you just want to like have a coke and just eat some fries and get on the bus and you know. But he 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 does he does the uh, he does the work <clears throat> for sure. And Aaron's not necessarily one to sit around and receive the, the praise and the attention. No, it, it, believe me, he's not interested in that. Mm-hmm. I think he's more interested in people not giving a shit about what he has to say. Yeah. And he's gone to great lengths to do that. And it's been it's been tremendous. Do you have anything to say about longevity though? Like you say on the borderline of commercial success or not and yeah. putting everything you have into it and living high stakes, but yet how do you have so many albums? How are you still here? It's amazing. I don't know, man. It's a mystery to me too. Believe me, every time we've gotten to play a show, it's just the it's it's the the best thing I can think of to be doing with my time um, when we get, we have a day where we have a show to play, it's it's like the best outside of being a father and a, and a husband, you know, as far as a vocational kind of experience, there's no other thing I think is a better use of my time. So, any you know, we just keep our heads down and just try to work through all the struggles like all the other bands out there. I mean, you guys have been around since 2003. Mm-hmm. So you know the answer to that question. I know some things about it, but a lot of learned up from you some of that too. <laughs> so I, I want to say I appreciate that. But uh, yeah. all-time shows, where do you rank Cornerstone? Me without you, I'm gonna say 2004 and three. I was at those, but I was at both of those, and they were very magical moments in in rock and roll, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> just some other show to you perhaps now you it's, know Cornerstone at night in that tent in those years was special you know that yeah I'm trying to think of this like the specific years that you're mentioning um I de- of course I remember playing Cornerstone every year it's up there it just if like I said I mean I think the best show I've ever played was in Jacksonville, Florida, where there was like 17 people there. <laughs> and I just I just remember feeling the sound coming out of the, you know, the PA, and it was just the best show I ever played. Just from a, a musical standpoint. Um some there somewhere there in like 2006 touring on Brother Sister. Um, 
I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like, well, I was like, I remember that. Cornerstone, I don't remember as as well. I just remember those shows being fun because we weren't used to playing in front of that many people before. It was like a good experience for us to get out of our out of off our list of things that we wanted to do, and then um, just meeting people, like having fun, just coming across folks that were at the show, just while you're out in the food court, you know. And that was just like the essence of Cornerstone to me was just like being out, hanging out, and like having having fun. Just but also being like you uh, you also played last night, and people are just like stoked on it. And yeah, sitting at your merch table, just kind of hanging out, you know, in the tent, being proud. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a tooth yeah. and nail band. Yeah. Um. But Cornerstone, yeah, those those shows were like they have to be up there, right? Because yeah, like you're just it's like it's go time, like it's time to show show this crowd. I remember like wearing a black turtleneck and just playing a Rickenbacker and just probably sounding horrible, but having fun. People love watching guys and girls on stage have fun. There's nothing nothing wrong with that. Feel like people like connect with like uh, dude he's he's feeling it that's cool I, I dig that no doubt Mike thank you so much I'm I think I've got the tape from you guys on a generator stage and I'll uh, I'll fade that up you'll be able to hear the generator and we're gonna go out on that note thank you everybody for listening to this episode thank you Mike you're the best. <laughs> My name is Wes Brauner from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a label member, and my favorite tooth and nail band of all time is Amberland. Matt Carter is our host. Editing and story by Matt Carter. Sound design and production managing by Reva Hansen. Our executive producer is Brandon Evil. Special thanks to Adam Scatula, Tyson Pauletti, Tyson Pauletti, and Marshall Fremoff at Tooth and Nail Records. This post. This podcast is made possible by Jesse Batesold, photographer I was Nick on Instagram, I-W-A-S-N-I-C, creativevista.com, Chris Holmes. Follow him on Instagram at frozen underscore cellmate and the rest of the members of the labeled community on Patreon. If you're interested in becoming a title sponsor for your band, brand, or nonprofit, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash labeled.